Hey everybody, and welcome back to American West History and Lore. Paul Workman here, and we're not going to waste any time getting into part two of our mini-series on the Lost Roads Mine. Now just as a recap, we covered in part one that the gold was most likely cached in the sacred Ute Indians' mines somewhere in the Uinta Mountains. We established that the Mormon church was in need of funding to help get their church up and going, and that Brigham Young didn't care much for mining activity, and therefore gave callings to certain members of the church. Chief Wakara of the Utes had a vision in which he was to tell the quote-unquote hi-hats, or the Mormons as he interpreted it, where the cached gold was, and that Young called Thomas Rhodes to go and retrieve said gold. Now one quick disclaimer, remember that at this point in the story that we have jumped into the legend and lore part of it, because if you'll think back to what I mentioned in part one, the church doesn't confirm or deny any of the history of the Lost Roads Mines, as they claim to not know anything about it one way or the other. The materials I've used to aid in my research here come from many different books and articles that I will be sure to put in the show notes so that you can dig a little deeper into the subject if you wish to do so and see for yourself where these authors got their documentation from. Now, onward with part two. So Thomas Rhodes really seemed like the most practical choice to be called to retrieve the riches from the sacred Ute mine, as he had proven to secure a substantial amount of gold during his time in California. Not only that, he was known to speak the Ute language as well, which gave him an advantage when having to communicate with the tribe. After being chosen by Young sometime around 1852, Chief Wakara agreed to guide Rhodes to the sacred mine of Kershanab, but not until he swore that he would never reveal the location of the mine to anyone. As time went on, Rhodes was eventually allowed to trek to the mine by himself, and according to the legend, he found many other Spanish mines while in the area that he was able to secure a personal payout from. It should be noted, however, that he never used any of the gold from the sacred mine of Kershanab for personal use. Now, it didn't take long, however, for the rumor to spread about what Thomas Rhodes may have been doing in the high Uinta mountains of Utah. Folks pretty well knew the trail where Thomas began his journey when heading into the hills, but very few were brave enough to follow him. Rhodes warned his fellow men not to follow him, and generally, the people listened, as Rhodes was a ranking Mormon militia leader, and his word was respected for the most part. According to the late George A. Thompson, author of Faded Footprints, The Lost Roads Mines, and Other Hidden Treasures of the Uintas, he claims that a man by the name of Ephraim Lambert, who was one of the pioneers who made the trek to Utah from the east, told his son and grandson a story about Thomas Rhodes, and his grandson, Glenn Lambert, recounted the tale on a tape recorder, and Thompson had a copy of it. This excerpt from the Glenn Lambert recording appears in Thompson's book and goes as follows, quote, Now Rhodes was a good rifleman, and he let it be known that no one was to follow him. He wasn't above shooting someone if he found them trying to do so. Of course, a few tried, but they soon lost his trail and came back. But one fellow, a Spaniard, came to Camus and asked about Tom Rhodes, where he was at, and if anyone knew how to find him. At that time, Rhodes was away on one of his trips to his gold mine, so this fellow lit out on his trail, going east up Beaver Creek. No one ever learned how far he went or what happened, but a few days later his horse came back without him. No one ever knew what became of that Spaniard, nor did anyone ever ask. Did the Killer Mountains claim another victim? End quote. Killer Mountains, or did Thomas Rhodes do what he had to do? Clearly, we may never know the answer to that question. Now, perhaps, as most cover-ups, a couple different situations popped up over the time Rhodes was supposedly going to these mines and retrieving precious metals. Because Young and Rose were close friends, 
Rhodes was able to obtain a large tract of mountain land where some of these mines he had been working were. He and his friend William Wines Phelps made a trip into the mountains to figure boundary lines from the land that he wished to gain title to. Perhaps this was just a cover-up to sneak off into the mountains to search for gold, or perhaps it was to secure land where he knew other Spanish mines were located. Another situation was that Young sent Rhodes on a mission to the Uinta Basin in September of 1860 to scope out the area for potential settlement sites. It is quite possible that during that excursion, he again took some time to search the area for mines. Now, in both of these situations, Rhodes was accompanied by other people, so I would presume that if he was prospecting, he wouldn't have been mining at Kershanab, as he had promised Chief Wakara that he wouldn't reveal its location to anyone else. Rhodes also became known as a great trapper and a hunter, as this was his quote-unquote occupation in order to dissuade people from finding out what he was really doing in the mountains. Now, according to Gail Rhodes and Carrie Rossborn in their now infamous hard-to-get-a-hold-of book, Footprints in the Wilderness, they claim that perhaps Rhodes between the years 1852 and 1855 only made around six or seven trips to Kershanab in order to get the gold for the church. Now, of course, based off of all the other evidence and literature available, it would seem that he made many more trips to his other mines, most likely for personal profit. Chief Wakara passed away in 1855 and was succeeded by his brother, Aeropine, who shortly after Wakara's death was visited by the deceased chief and told Aeropine to not make war with Young and the Mormon church, and that they were good people and even deeded the land that would become the county of San Pete to the LDS church. Wakara had instructed his brother that he needed to go to Salt Lake and visit with Brigham Young, and that he needed to cooperate with Young to, in continuing providing them access to the gold. In June of 1855, Thomas became ill and was unable to continue his trips into the mountains to retrieve the gold, so it became necessary that someone needed to replace him until he got better. The man who just so happened to take over Thomas's duties was his son, Caleb Baldwin Rhodes. And yes, Caleb had to take the same oath and adhere to the same agreement that his father did in order to know the location of the sacred mine. So a young 19-year-old Caleb Rhodes saddled up and went out with a young Ute guide, who was right around the same age as Caleb, and he showed him the way to the sacred mine, and along the way, the two developed a great relationship with each other and became, as Caleb put it, quote-unquote, like brothers. Not too long after this, his father healed from his ailments, and together they made several trips into the mountains to retrieve the gold for the church from Kershanab. As a side note, the authors of Footprints in the Wilderness take much care in letting the reader know that the mines were separate. We've discussed this a little bit, but it's never a bad thing to reiterate key topics. They state that, quote, The Lost Roads Mine, from which came the sacred Ute gold for the church, and the Spanish mine, which Caleb called the Rhodes Mine, are two distinct and separate gold-producing properties, end quote. So to be clear, the gold for the church came from Kershanov, also known as the Lost Roads Mine, and their personal findings came from old Spanish mines known as the Rhodes Mine. And just to make one more thing clear, at least in the research I've done, it's always been said both ways. Number one being that the gold in these mines was cached there by someone, and number two, that the rock was actually gold-bearing, and that it needed to be mined out. So which one is it? I suppose it's all up to you on which pieces of the legend you choose to believe. Thomas Rhodes passed away at the age of 74 in February of 1869, and Caleb was allowed for a little while after his father's death to continue to recover the gold from Kershanab, 
but was eventually told that basically, hey, the church has enough money for what it needs and is able to stand on its own. Therefore, we're cutting you off. But this didn't stop Caleb from fetching riches from the other mines that he and his father discovered along the way. In fact, Caleb pretty well mined up until his own death in June of 1905. Alright folks, again, going to leave you hanging on there for the final part of this mini-series, where we're going to discuss a few of Caleb's adventures to his secret mines, as well as some of the more modern adventures of people who have taken on the task of searching for some of these hidden mines within the Uinta Mountains. I believe part one and part two have given a good basic overview of the key players in the legend, and I believe that part three will be the most entertaining of the series. Thanks again for tuning in. If you like what you're hearing, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a nice rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. Show notes for this episode can be found at AmericanWestHistoryAndLore.blogspot.com, and you can send show suggestions and comments to ThePKWorkman at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.